I get to tell you another one of my favorite stories. And yes, it's from the Bible. Surprise, surprise. It's a road that down through the years, you may have heard of it or you may have not. It's a, it's, a, it's a story down through the years known as the road to Emmaus. Now, uh, you, you might be able to guess why this story, without even knowing it, is why it's called the road to Emmaus. Because it's a story about something that happens. Any guesses? On this road to this place called Emmaus. Brilliant, huh? Well, whether you, whether you know the story or you don't know the story, my guess is if you've been around at all, you know the road. And I got to thinking about some interesting roads I've been on during the years. And uh, here's, here's an interesting road I've been on. Anybody been on that road? It's out in the desert out between L.A. and, and, and Las Vegas. Anybody, does anybody recognize that road? Yeah, I, don't, I can't say that road, but I've been on it. And then there's another road near where my son went to college, and it was this. And I went on that road. <laughs> he wasn't there. I felt so deceived. Um, you know, but there's some roads I think we've all been on. I bet all of us have been on that one. But then there's some roads that none of us ever want to be on, like that or that. Or then there's that. And I mean, of all the names for a road, why would you ever pick that one? Get it? It's, yeah, I'm about two years old in my sense of humor. Yes, that's true. But there's some roads that, that should just be closed permanently. And, uh, you know, that, that one should never have been open to Burton. No, that's not nice. I apologize for that there, Lord. But anyhow, uh, the road to Emmaus. Thank you for bearing with me on that. That's just in self-indulgent on my part. But, but, but today's road isn't any of those. It's, this is the road to Emmaus. Now, Emmaus was a town that was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And you got to understand, Jerusalem was a town that was basically built, and still is, uh, very, on a hill. And so basically, if you're going to Jerusalem, it was like a city built more or less on a mountain. And the Bible calls it Mount Zion sometimes. And, and uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's up on a hill. And, and Emmaus is like seven miles away. And there's these two travelers on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And one of them's names we find out, and one of them's names we don't find out. And so here we go, the story of the road to Emmaus. Here's, here's, it, 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 it's, it's like either three parts, or if you like theater, you could consider it three acts. But it's, here's, here's part one, act one. Uh, quote, that same day, two of them, meaning two followers of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were walking with each other uh, and, and talking about everything that had happened. Now, when it says that same day, this is the day that we're going to celebrate here in about three weeks. Is it three weeks to Easter? Is it three weekends? I'm bad at counting. So, uh, 
we'll, we'll say it's three weeks to Easter. So it was the very first, so that same day, that same day that Jesus had risen from the dead, these two, these two travelers are, 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 are on this road. And when it says that they were talking about everything that had happened, it, 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 was, it was that last week of Jesus' life. It was Jesus being arrested and and beaten and tortured and crucified and killed and buried. And these, these two had heard reports. We know this, and just trust me, we know that they had heard reports from that morning that Jesus had risen. But think about it. If they believed those reports, why are they on the road to Emmaus? Why? I mean, if Jesus had risen in Jerusalem and I thought that was possibly true, I'm hanging around. Are you with me or not with me? It's making some sense. Thank you. It's making some sense. Got a few head nods there. It's making some sense. So I don't mean to be hard on these two, but they've, they've been following Jesus all this time and some bad stuff's gone down and they've heard some rumors that, that it's going to be all right and that, 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 that he's risen, but, but they're walking away. And uh, who can blame them? Really, I don't blame them. They knew Jesus was dead. So, th- th- so they're walking along and now the plot thickens. Watch, the plot thickens as they're walking along. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, interesting story. They were kept from recognizing him. How could they not recognize him? I mean, how could that happen? These are followers of Jesus. I mean, it makes me wonder if when Jesus came up, he did one of those Obi-Wan Kenobi things like, these are not the droids you were looking for. I wonder if it was like that. Or, you know, it was like the sun in their eyes so they couldn't see him. Or was he wearing like the first century version of a hoodie and it was so it's down over his face um a, a buddy of mine says well maybe jesus was wearing a disguise of some kind to which i had to reply what like a like a, like a fake beard over his real beard i i don't know but something kept them from recognizing him he was listen here's the first part he's right there they don't see him they well they see him but they don't see him They don't recognize it's him. And he speaks and he says, he asks them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, I told you we'd find out one of their names, one of them named Cleopas. If you don't like your first name, you can try that one on. Uh, Cleopas uh, said, he said uh, to, to, to this stranger, are you the only one? who does not know the things that have happened here in these days. And I love what Jesus says back to them. What things? (laughs) I think that's funny. Because he knows what they're talking about. And then he goes, are you the only one that doesn't know what what things have happened? And and Jesus goes, what things? And, And so they start talking to Jesus about these things. And they say, about Jesus of Nazareth. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Now notice something here. (laughs) 
They're, they're explaining to Jesus what had happened to Jesus. I, I just think that's funny. Maybe that's just me. But then again, you know a little bit about my sense of humor, so maybe it's not that funny. Um, I just think it's funny that they're, talk, they're explaining to Jesus about a Jesus. Uh, I'm a parent. I've had my boys explain myself to me a few times, but this is something different. So they're explaining to Jesus about Jesus, and then we come to the pivotal moment on part one of the road to Emmaus, and look what it says. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, meaning their people. We thought he was the one who would rescue us. Now leave that up there on the screen for just a minute, please, if you would. I, I think these are some of the saddest words in all of Scripture. But we had hoped. See, they had hoped at one point, but now they ain't hoping no more. This, I'm not great at English grammar, obviously, but this is past tense. We had hoped. We used to have hope, but we don't anymore. Um, know, know the feeling? I mean, I, I, some of y'all I know, most of y'all I don't. I, I don't know what you're going through these days, but maybe things just keep happening and happening and happening. And maybe it's just dragging you down, or maybe it's challenging your faith. And maybe you're at the point of, well, you know, I used to hope for that. Or maybe you're at the point of, like, I, I used to believe all that stuff. Maybe you're, you're at the point of, I had hoped. You know, I, I, had, ha- I, I had hoped that God was going to fix this thing for me, or he was going to do this or that, or... You know, I, I had hoped my faith was for real, but now I don't know. Not so much. Um, maybe, maybe you know this road. I know I do. But we had hoped. See, at one point, they made it very clear. At one point, they didn't just like hope, like, oh, we hope. But it's like, really, really real. We had hoped that he was going to save us. From something bad. That he was going to make something happen. But he didn't make it happen. They're thinking. And maybe you can relate to that too. You hoped. You'd be married by now. You you hoped you'd have a child by now. You hoped your child would be well by now. Or you hoped you'd have a job by now. Or you hoped you'd be out of financial trouble by now. Or... You thought, you hoped that God would come through for you by now. But so far, not so much. And maybe you've not given up, but you're starting to wonder. Should I? Should I just give up? Should I just go on the road to Emmaus and say, Well, I had, I I used to hope. That's part one. Now part two. The road to Emmaus, act two. Remember, they're at, we had hoped, past tense, but one, 
But the one, it's interesting to me, in, the one they'd lost hope in was walking right next to them. Only they didn't recognize them. And watch what happens next. This is interesting. He said, he said to them, how foolish ye are and how slowly to believe all, the th- all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures. Scriptures. Now, don't misunderstand, misunderstand something. When Jesus says, uh, how foolish you are, I, I don't think he's like getting in their face and going like, you bad, you know, unbelieving, blah, blah, you know, why don't you believe the stuff you're supposed to? No, 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 no. I, I, I think he's like going, man, y'all are... Y'all, y'all still have reason to hope. I mean, you, you, you know what's been written. You've been talking these things. You're, you're not just, you're giving up on what's been written. And then just to remind them, he tells them all's been written. Jesus explains to them from the scriptures that they had reason to hope how the scriptures had said that all this stuff was going to happen and that this resurrection thing was going to happen. But even as Jesus himself gives them the Sunday school lesson, they don't recognize him. Something tells me that if Jesus were to be teaching your children Sunday school today, they would recognize him and say, Mommy, I think, I think Jesus was our teacher this morning, pretty sure of it. Now, see, the Bible doesn't say why they don't, they don't recognize him, but I got a theory. And I think it was just because on this road, well, it wasn't really the road. It was the effect of their life that had them on this road. I, I, I think what kept them from recognizing him was just hopelessness. I mean, I think everybody here knows that hopelessness does stuff to your vision. I think there's things that our emotional and personal and spiritual eyes can't see too too well through the haze of hopelessness. And like I said, maybe you're on this road today. Maybe you're not, right? Honestly, if you're like cruising and it's awesome and you're nowhere near the road to Emmaus and your life's going great, that's cool. I, I, I don't mean to be a downer, but it, I do believe this, though. If we're not walking it now, we've either walked it before or we're going to walk it again. Have a nice day. But if you are on the road to Emmaus right now, I just want to encourage you would, privately, privately where you sit in your heart and your mind. W- would you say so? To yourself, maybe to God, where you sit, would you just say to yourself and to God, man, God, I'm on that road right now. I I had hoped, but now not so much. I'm on hopeless road right now. Please believe me. He can handle you call it an ace a ace. And uh, 
if you're at a place in your spiritual journey where you used to believe this Jesus stuff, but you don't anymore, or you're checking it out and you're not even sure if it's anything more than just, you know, some cultural narrative or whatever, I just want you to know I really believe you're in the right place. This isn't the place for folks who got it all figured out. I'm not sure where that place is, but I don't belong there. I don't know about you. I, I don't belong in the place where everybody's got it all figured out. Is that just me? Okay, maybe it is. <laughs> but like I said, the road to Emmaus has got more than one part. And we've been through part one, we had hoped. And we've been through part two. And, and where, 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 where Jesus has, has appeared and made himself clear and known, I believe, and they still don't recognize him. And, and, and now we get to part three. Uh, just before they get to Emmaus, they stop for the night. Makes me think of that line from the old eagle song. So we stopped for the night. Hotel California. And, that, and, and see, you didn't travel at night in those days. See, I like to travel at night a lot. I think the miles go quicker on the road at night because you can't see nothing except the pavement in front of you. And so if I got a long drive, I like to, I like to travel at night. And, you know, in, in our day, it's, just pre, it's pretty much about as safe to travel at night unless there happened to be deer running around. And, uh, 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 but in those days, it wasn't safe to travel at night. So these two guys say to... to, to I mean, two people, we don't know the other one was a guy. Uh, these two people say to Jesus, you know, hey, it's getting late. This again, they, they still don't know it's him. All right? They still don't recognize him. They say, well, why, why don't you crash with us? And the Bible doesn't say crash. That's my translation. But, you know, they essentially say, stay with us. You know, we don't want to have to keep going on with the dark, in the dark. And, and Jesus says, okay. And they sit down for a meal. And then we get to part three of the wonderful story of the road to Emmaus. And look what it says. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now, if you've been around church very, more, you, you, very much, you might think this is like a communion Eucharist reference that he's like, um, leading them in communion. I, I don't think so. He took bread and broke it and gave it to them and gave thanks. It was this normal thing. We're having a meal and he said grace and said, here, you have some and you have some. And in just this ordinary moment of him going, here, you have some, you have some, they're like, ding. Look. Their eyes were open and they recognized him. And they, when they recognized him, then they realized, and since he's actually breaking bread and giving it to them, this is not like a, you know, an apparition. This is not like a ghost. This is the real deal. And seeing him and realizing he's risen and that he was alive and he was well, see, that, that changed the road they were on because that's what they needed. And the next part of this is kind of funny to me too. Look what it says. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. 
They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This story, y'all, fascinates me. He disappears like a ghost into thin air, but not really like a ghost because, like I said, the bread was for real and he'd shared it with them and had some himself. And, and I don't know much about ghosts, but I don't hear him doing that. But um, it interests me because not only after he gives them some bread and disappears, they know it was him. Not only does it say they weren't freaked out by that and, and like it doesn't say they said, hey, where did he go? It doesn't say that. It just says they said they're basically saying, you know, I knew it. I knew it was him. I knew it was him all along. I knew it. I don't think they knew it. I don't know. I, I don't think so. But. Maybe they did, but that's okay. Because, see, I think that's how when it work, how it works is when you need to see him and you need to know that he's with you and you need to know that even though you had given up hope, you, you didn't have to. In retrospect, you know what they say about hindsight. In retrospect, you often have this sense of going, oh... I wasn't alone. He was right there with me all the time. I just didn't see him. And then look what happens. It says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, meaning the, the disciples, the, 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 the head honchos of this whole Jesus thing and the leaders, assembled together and, say, and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen. And see, this is not just like a theological proclamation and like, oh, the prophecy has been fulfilled. They're saying, man, this is real. This really happened. He said it was going to happen. And we sort of believe it's going to happen. But this like really happened. He's like really not dead. And this is so important, y'all. Think about this. And again, I, I hate to be such a bummer, but, but what's, what's more hopeless than death? You know, physicists call it entropy or, you know, the second law of thermodynamics. You know, I, I like what Mark Twain had to say. Maybe you're familiar. He said, the statistics on death are fairly impressive. <laughs> Happens to one out of every one person. The Bible calls death the last enemy. And I don't, that's not just numerical, okay, last in line. Last. No, that's like the final. No more. And, I, and I'll just try and stay out of preacher voice here for a minute if I can. Yeah, I doubt it too. As we celebrate Easter here in three weeks, please don't forget when Jesus got up out of that grave... With a body that was flesh and bones, but would never taste death again, the last enemy was beaten, defeated, kaput. I don't even know what kaput actually means, but. That he's alive means if he can overcome death, what, what can't he overcome? 
I, I don't know what you're going through, but I do believe that since Jesus can bring life back from death, He can get you through what you're going through one way or another. And today, you might be here thinking you need a whole lot of things, but i tell you what I believe, if you don't mind. I believe what you need. I believe what I need more than anything else in my life. At all times, whenever possible, is to see him and recognize him and know that he's with me. Not in the sense that, you know, God is everywhere, I am somewhere, therefore God is there. No. I mean, yes, but no. No. Jesus particular. Oh, he's right here with me. See, he shows up in real unexpected places, y'all. Don't don't be surprised where you might recognize him if you look. A woman I know who had been abandoned by her dad when she was just a baby. She was abandoned by her dad when she was a baby and her mom turned to drink and and, uh, she grew up never knowing her dad and knew her mom mainly through the haze of alcoholism, her mom's alcoholism. And one day when she was eight, her mom told her that they were going to go visit her aunt and take the train. And she was so excited. And as they sat on the train platform waiting to go to their aunt, her mom passed out drunk on one of the benches and she couldn't wake her up, eight years old. And the train came to go to their aunt's house and what does she do? You know, mom's passed out. Do I, what do I do? She didn't know what to do. And as, so the train went by and her mom slept it off. And, and she said she felt so abandoned. And she said that that feeling of abandonment followed her through her whole life. And, and you know, when she married and she had kids and she was doing okay, apparently. But she said that feeling of being abandoned haunted her into adulthood and into her marriage and and caused all sorts of problems. And she said she'd always believed in God, but she could never get over wondering why, if God loved her, he wasn't there for her on that train platform when she was eight. Then one night when she was praying with her small group, she said it was like God in her mind took her back to that day at the train station when she felt so alone. And she says that in her mind's eye, she saw her eight-year-old self sitting there next to her passed-out mom. And I quote, I noticed someone else sitting on that bench next to me with his arm around me. And then I saw that that someone was Jesus. And God showed me in that moment that Jesus was right there with me even though I didn't know it at the time, and it hit me, Jesus was with me then, he's been with me ever since, and he's with me now. And if she were here to speak to you now, instead of me, she'd tell you that that seeing of him in prayer at the train station with her in retrospect when she was eight changed her life. Her eyes were opened to the presence of God in Jesus, in the midst of her pain, and it changed her life. I'll tell you another story. Ten years ago or so, 
A friend of mine's 16-year-old son was killed the night before Easter. He got a call about 11.30 at night before Easter. And not too far from here, his son had been killed in a car wreck that made no sense. The car just ran off the road for some reason. Nobody was drinking, nothing was found mechanically wrong with the car. He was just, you know, it's that call that every parent dread. And, 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 and he was so crushed by it, he started, he said, to try and get through it, he started going down to the lakefront of Chicago and hanging out by Navy Pier. And, and uh, well, let me just read to you what he said. I'll, I'll read it to you, with, and this is with his permission. Talking about when he's down at Navy Pier. Sometimes I'd yell at God and curse and swear at him. I was so close to my son and now that he was gone, I didn't want to be here either. I was a Christ follower and I thought I was supposed to be able to handle it, but I couldn't. I thought I was supposed to be okay, but I wasn't. Then one night I went to the lakefront and I challenged God. I said to God, if I throw myself in the water, are you going to save me? I mean, you didn't save my son, so are you going to save me? He says, so I stripped down to my skivvies and I didn't know use that word anymore. I stripped down to my skivvies and jumped into the water and just started swimming out as far as I could go. When I couldn't go any farther, I tried to dive down beneath the surface and not come back up, but I just couldn't manage to stay under. I tried again, but I just kept floating back up to the surface. And he would tell you he wasn't a strong swimmer. And he says, I tried a third time, but this time when I came back up, for some reason, I wasn't looking out across the lake into the pitch black of night. I was looking at the lights of the Chicago skyline. I looked down towards Soldier Field and other places nearby where my son and I had had such good times. And for the first time since his death, memories came flooding back that brought joy and gratitude instead of anger and despair. And for the first time since his death, I wanted to live. I wanted to be there for my wife and my son who was still living and for my granddaughter and he says, there was no voice from above, no bright light, just a feeling that God loved me, that even though I swore at him and cursed at him, he still cared. He reminded me that it was the birth of my son 16 years earlier that helped me turn the corner against my alcohol and heroin addiction, and that I've been sober since the day my son was born. It was my son's life that the Lord used to save mine, and he's used my sobriety to help save the lives of others since then. So I started swimming for shore. I barely managed to make it back to the pier. I waited for a wave to lift me up just high enough to grab a ladder and climb back up. I was able to find my clothes, which is a good thing since otherwise I would have been stuck on Lakeshore Drive in the middle of the night in just my underwear. I put my clothes back on, sat down, and began to cry like I'd never cried before. That night with a glimpse of the skyline, God opened my eyes to what my pain and grief had kept me from seeing, and I know that guy, and he's one of the most effective, energetic helpers of others that I know. He helps so many recovering addicts and so many grieving parents in ways that are just amazing, and I know him, and yeah, he still hurts like crazy over the loss of his son, but his life has meaning. And again, I don't know what you're going through. And no, I'd be the first one to say that God doesn't promise to give us everything in this life like we think he should. Or like maybe somebody told us we would if we did the whole Christianity thing right. 
But he does promise to give us hope if we'll let him. And I'm here to say to you this morning, we got to walk a lot of roads in this life, but one road you don't have to walk on permanently is a road without hope. Because Jesus is not just a prophet or a teacher or a good man or a great man. He died and death couldn't hold him. And he's alive and he's, I believe he's here in this place whether we recognize him here or not and he's here to give us some hope and because Jesus is alive, dead eyes can see, dead ears can hear, dead legs can walk. Dead relationships can be revived. Dead careers can be rejuvenated. Dead finances can be resuscitated. And even if those things don't happen, life can still have meaning and purpose and joy amidst the pain. A buddy of mine wrote this Christian rap metal song, which probably sounds like the worst genre of music ever created in the history of the world, Christian rap metal. And he called it Death Destroyer. And the, line, the, the chorus of the song says of Jesus, he's the death destroyer. Such an awesome power in the presence of him all evil must cower. That's how he put it. The Bible puts it this way. He's our rock. He's our fortress. He's our deliverer. In him will we trust. And when we feel like we can't go on, like we can't cope, he and he alone is our hope. And oftentimes he's right there and we don't see him. We don't recognize him. And so let me ask you, as a response to being in church this morning, I know we can just go on and it's like going, oh yeah. But would you do something different this week if you're hurting and Hopeless, would you just ask him to show himself to you? Whatever road you're on happened to me last Sunday night. I spoke here in the morning and, and uh, as I mentioned to you, I'm going through some stuff right now that I'm not ready to talk about, but it was coming down pretty heavy on me on, on Sunday night and I was trying to call folks and wasn't anybody answering the phone and, and uh, I got a Facebook you know, when in doubt, go to Facebook, right? <laughs> Facebook I am from a guy I hadn't heard from in 20 years. Friend of mine. A friend of Gordon Venturellis too, by the way. I found out, didn't know at the time. And uh, he, 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 he sent me a little text on Facebook and he said, uh, can I call you in 15 minutes? I'm like, please, <laughs> sure. And uh, he said, I want to talk to you. I, I can't tell you how many times over the last 20 years I've thought of you and been grateful for you. And, and he told me, he, you know, he, he had graduated from the same seminary my dad had taught at, and he was a brilliant guy, and he was in Chicago doing some religious work. And I said, so what's happened since in the last 20 years since you were here? And he goes, well, after I got out of here, out of Chicago, I, I got into meth. 
and I got into intravenous drug use and uh, I became homeless. IV drug user and I ended up in prison. And uh, amidst all the stuff that I thought was, I mean, it's not good, but much all the stuff that I'm going through, here's this guy telling me that something about our friendship somehow helped him get through prison. And my eyes were open. And I could see him. My favorite theologian likes to say, God doesn't give answers. God gives himself. I don't know what God will do with your, but I had hope situation. But I do believe that if you'll ask him and look, look for him, I really believe if you ask him, And look for him. He will show himself to you. And you will recognize your hope. Let's pray. God, don't let it be just a story. Let it be our lives. Where we can... Go from heading downhill towards Emmaus, but return to the mountain. Not the literal mountain of your holy city, but that mountain where, uh, where there's hope.